Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. To Dear Hank and John, or as I like to call it, Dear Brennan and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers and sometimes one brother and a friend answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Today we are joined by Brennan Lee Mulligan, and I have to say, I was I like I like Dungeons and Dragons very much. I was once playing D and D, and I asked my DM about dark vision, and he said that it meant I could see sixty feet in the dark. But I was confused. I would like to see sixty feet in the dark, but there's nowhere near thirty people. Oh, oh, joy. A straight up, a straight up joke. A true joke. Just a, just a capital J joke. We love it. <laughs> did, did you expect it? Did you know where I was going? Not, not even at all. That okay. would be an alarm. That would be an alarming thing. Of si- si- seeing 60 feet in the dark is very yeah. upsetting. Also, because the original description of dark vision is that everything is kind of in a grainy black and white. It's mm-hmm. it's sort of like you're in Daredevil's scary da- mystery feet. Scary mystery feet. Ooh, no, thank you. Yeah, um, you see sixty feet in the dark, and I'm like, do I have to kill all of them? Are they? <laughs> do they have eyes? <laughs> do, can, all- I do, can I do an arcana check on this? What's happening? It does the good horror thing too of if you if if I tell you you see 60 feet it immediately <laughs> makes you have a psychological lurch forward because I didn't tell you you saw 60 people so or uh, 30 people no. so you know what I mean so so you have to you have to yeah. suddenly go like wait but I you, so I see feet do it are they attached to ankles? Can I see shins? <laughs> what? Wait. Yeah. What? I, I mean they it seems like I would rather fight 60 feet than 30 people. Like, that's true. Because yes. what can a foot do to me? Oh, God. That's, I mean, that is literally the definition of, like, a monkey paw wish. That is, like, the hero. Yeah. That is, that is like, the thing before we smash cut to exactly what 60 feet can do to you. Mm, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. We'll we'll find out someday on a campaign um, where you will throw a bunch of feet at me. That would be wonderful. I would love to play D&D with you, one of the fo- world's foremost dungeon masters. If you don't know, Brennan uh, does lots of funny things, but one of the things he does is r- runs uh, many different games, but uh, is always running some Dimension 20 game, which is just an absolute delight. I'm a big fan, and I'm really excited to have you here on Dear Anga John to answer questions from our listeners. I, uh, I'm thrilled, elated beyond measure. It's, uh, uh, there's, there's, it, it's a joy and an honor to be here. And I love to uh, help answer questions. Uh, I, hope you're, I hope your listeners <laughs> are ready for um, a nice chunk of me uh, as the philosophy, uh, the former philosophy major that I am, talking myself out of any possible answer to any of these questions. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard. So, this is, yeah, it, it's like, okay, so we got a sentence and a half from you, and we're supposed to tell you how to live your life? <laughs> I love it. But you know, the, hey, there's there's even something within that, right? Of of we get these questions, mm-hmm. we get the context of them. But that's that you know, people aren't aren't always looking for the right answer, Hank. Sometimes they're just looking for no. an answer. And I get that. Yes. 
And we can deliver an answer. Uh, Brennan, do you have any questions that you found particularly compelling that you want to start with, or should I go? Oh, man, I jumped into these, and the the, the gamut that they ran was so exciting. They're all over the place. They're yes. all over the place. Uh, uh, I would say, let's start, I would say, I would say, let's start with a nice, easy, underhand pitch. If there's one that, that you see that seems like, hey, this one, this one's maybe one we can, like, knock out of the park to get ahead of steam going here. Uh, that's that would yeah. be my choice. So this one is from Prahash, who asks, Dear Hank and Brennan, I know that white clothes reflect light and tend to keep you cool in the sunlight, and black clothes absorb light and keep you warmer. What exactly does it mean for something to absorb light? Does that mean that there are photons somehow saturated in the fabric? Could I wring out the photons and they would spill out like water? What do you got for me, Brennan? Well, there's nothing kind of... Uh, I would say my my response to this is is a great point and and the premise of your question <laughs> is is really appreciated and you know immediately I think I think Hank is going to be able to handle the science behind this but I think that we can all agree that there's nothing more sort of viscerally upsetting to see than a hot goth during the daytime and <laughs> You need temperature too. Yes. yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, I worked for many years at a live action role playing summer camp uh, called the Wayfinder Experience, and every so often, sounds cool. Very, very cool. I, they're they're an incredible program that does uh, uh, day camps and overnight camps for for uh, you know t- uh, teens and preteens. We had all kinds of programming for stuff, but occasionally you have to play an army of uh, undead, you know, villains or other kind of LARP uh, uh, mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you play them at night where you get to be very cool and very scary, but occasionally you have to play them during the day. And then what happens is you are dressed head to toe in black garb with, you know, sort of, uh, uh, sort of you know, undead makeup on. And it is mm-hmm. mid-August in upstate New York. And let me tell you, uh, black clothing really does trap heat. And it is hard to be sort of the terror of the realms when you are truly just you can feel sweat running like a coursing river down your back Mm -hmm. you're like oh i think my body has a timer on it of when i will literally desaturate like a hydrated like dehydrated fruit i'll just like shrivel to the ground and die Um, yes i i was in marching band in florida uh i lived in orlando and i was in marching band and they put on these i don't know why they're there probably are now but at that point they're I guess it was probably an upgrade from the wool that they were before, but it was just very heavy polyester, which, of course, didn't absorb anything. So you just, like, whatever sweat came out just came out. It it was in there. It would immediately just be sort of, like, wicked, and you're just— Everything was wet or it like stayed in. It like wouldn't absorb it. So it would just like stay on your skin all of the time. Uh, But uh, luckily our marching band outfits, and I think for a good reason, were white uh, because of this. So what white is, is reflecting all of the colors. And it's not reflecting all of the colors. Otherwise it would be not getting hot at all, uh, except for through. So there's there's two ways. Now I'm going to get super nerdy. There's two ways you get hot. So that's great. Hell yeah. There's There's the air. That's actually carrying heat to you, um, and that's going to be there whether you're in the shade or the the sun. So 96 degrees in the shade or whatever it is that is in the song, uh, it, that 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 just gets to you no matter what. And then there's the actual radiation. So infrared radiation from the sun getting through the atmosphere, hitting you, and heating things up, jiggling atoms, because those photons, in the case of white, are just mostly going to get reflected back out. And that's what we see. It's reflecting all of the different wavelengths of vis- visible light. It might be absorbing some non-visible uh, wavelengths of, of light, but there aren't that many that get through the atmosphere. So you don't have to worry too much about that, but there are some. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there are the... And then there's like black is absorbing all of them. And that's what we see as black. And so they're still going to be reflecting some because it's not like pure Vanta black or anything, but it's going to be absorbing most. And what that means is the photon is coming in and it is being absorbed and it's no longer there. So what happens is it gets absorbed by the molecule and that energy becomes energy in the molecule and that molecule or atom jiggles more. And that jiggling is what we feel as heat because that jiggling can then be transferred by convection into our skin. And we feel that as, as the heat. So the photons aren't there anymore. They they become, they are always energy and they, their energy gets transferred into a different form, which is the jiggling of atoms and molecules, which is the thing that we feel as heat. Heat is just speed of molecules, which is wild and does not 
make intuitive sense. But eventually, if you say it enough times, you start to believe it. So, and to break this down, uh, again, as a lay person, as, as, yeah. as, uh, as someone who, you know, made the decision for reasons, you know, that we don't need to go into here, but to, to study um, uh, humanities rather than, the, rather than the hard sciences. Uh, what, mm-hmm. what it seems like you're saying is that these, these articles of clothing eat photons. They eat them. And then they get lots of energy from them. That's what I'm hearing in my head. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So they're more. They're full, and they're gonna have to. They're gonna have to go to the bathroom soon. It's like when my nephew gets his hand on a fruit snack that we didn't know was out somewhere where he could get it, and then he eats that, and then he jiggles, and actually does become quite hot to the touch. Yeah. Then there's a lot of jiggling. There's nothing like nothing like a nephew on a fruit snack. Yes. For jiggles. For for the jiggles, exactly. Um, well, that's wild. So. Now that so the, so, light turns into heat as it gets as that energy gets uh, uh, turned as, as that energy is created. And then, is there a reverse process by which heat gets turned into light? Like, for example, if we had yeah. if we had a, a goth on a hot summer's day out in the woods, uh-huh. could he? Yeah, could that goth become so uncomfortably hot that they began to emit light? Yeah, yeah. Yes, um, and indeed that goth is emitting light from their black clothing because, uh, but they are not emitting light in the visible spectrum, so we can't see it. So so if you hold uh, like a, a warm shirt up, you can put your hand in front of that shirt and feel the warmth. That's infrared radiation coming off of that shirt. So it's the, the hot molecules are actually jiggling uh, and then they are re-radiating that light in a wavelength that we can't see. So- and if you like pointed an infrared camera at them or like the James Webb Space Telescope, they would be able to see the hot goth even in the in pure darkness. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. That's <laughs> and and I, and I can tell and, you right now. And if now, you get them hot enough, they will start glowing invisible light. And that, that uh, unfortunately, that is the kind of heat that uh, no one goth or not could survive. Gotcha. But I feel yeah. like if you t- like a, a goth being able to be seen in the darkness is a goth's pretty much biggest dream. So that's, it's exciting that we're already there. That's, <laughs> yeah, it's very, very, you have to have the right, and certain, uh, certain animals can detect infrared radiation. We just can't. Um, so like there are species of, I don't know, maybe spiders that would be able to see the goth. Is that, which seems, seems right. Is that, that seems right. There's some, there's some infrared snakes out there who can detect heat, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 There's, uh, there's also, um, fire beetles that, uh, that, they have a special organ for sensing sensing heat, and it's very. I think it's similar to the the pit organs in like a pit viper that senses heat. That and and they use that to go and like go to fires because they like to eat burned wood. Wow. Yeah. Oh my god, burned wood. That's. I mean, that's a lovely. I mean, the mis- I, I, I get it. A nice mesquite. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that makes sense. I dig it. I dig it. Yeah. Well, or or whatever is going on there. Um, <laughs> we- <laughs> God, that we could get we could get so so far into heat. Thank you for asking all of the best questions. Yes, um, I uh, it, that radiation, by the way, when uh, something gets so hot that it starts to glow, like lava, for example, is called black body radiation, which also feels applicable to our scenario here. Yeah. This next question comes from anonymous, who asks: I had a math test recently. I got a thirty-seven point five out of forty. When I was checking over the paper, I saw that the teacher had made some mistakes and I felt the urge that I had to tell the teacher about it. So I did. And he was happy that I told the truth. And then he deducted four marks from it. Now I know I made the right choice, but I do feel really bad for losing those four marks. Please help anonymous. Wow. 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 I gotta, I gotta send a little message to this teacher that like those four points on this test are not as important as that honesty that you displayed in that situation. And in that, I, in that situation, would be like, thank you for being honest. As a reward, I will leave your test at the same score. I've, that's, that's me. I know that that's, I know that's not everybody, but I feel like that's, that's, that's such a big move. That's a big move. And I'm proud of you for making the big move. And I think you should have kept your four points for it. That's how I feel. It, were I in the teacher's position, I would probably similarly decide to leave the the score unchanged. However, I do remember being a little kid and 
my dad telling me a story, as he was often wont to do while we were walking sure. down the streets of New York together, which was always a fun way to receive life lessons while you were like a tiny person being buffeted by crowds on a on a city street. And he told me the story of this was some some like apocryphal legend of the sailor and the loose cannon, and this idea of like a sailor like negligently. Uh, forgot to tie down a cannon on a ship, which he was supposed to do, right? And doing that mm-hmm. could potentially get people killed. It's a huge deal. To not, a, you know, if the ship enters combat or there's a storm, that cannon could punch a hole in the side of the ship. It's bad news. Um, but uh, sort of like when the when the ship got into choppy water, the sailor realized the huge error and l- bravely leapt into the gun deck and uh, with the cannon swaying around wildly and risked his own life to tie the cannon up and he tied it uh, into place. And uh, the next morning, Captain called up the sailor and was like, for your bravery and your courage in saving the lives of your fellow crew members, we decorate you with the highest medal it is possible to decorate a sailor with. And for your negligence and failure uh, in not securing the cannon in the first place, uh, the, the the penalty is death, and they threw him overboard into the ocean. <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a mixed blessing, you know. <laughs> it's a mixed blessing, and like a lot. Do, do they keep do they keep the medal on the way down? I think so, and I think that's sort of the vibe. Is like we're going to put this medal on yeah. you, and then we're going to pick you up and throw you into the sea. And I think that there's a. I remember as a kid, I don't know, there's certain there's certain little fables or legends that your parents tell you when you're a kid that um are I guess either so deeply jarring or <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's I don't know that I'd hit my son with that one at this moment. Yeah, but but I got it. Like I grokked what he was going for, which is sort of like mm-hmm. like your 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 merits and your demerits, you've got to take them all. Like the slate, the slate never becomes clean, in other words. It's just that you, you mm-hmm. receive all of your marks, good and bad, right? Um, but I, so this is a, a long meandering way of saying, I would probably leave the score unchanged. But also there is a broader philosophical point that, um, the thing that motivates you to do the right thing um, can be maybe kept in a separate category from your feeling about losing those marks. Like you do the right thing. I, I do, like I do agree with with the the feeling that when you go to explain that that the teacher has overgraded you you should go with the expectation that they will not keep your grades the same you should go with the expectation that you are doing the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing and it may in fact you know hurt you sometimes you do the right thing and uh, mm-hmm. and and you should not expect that like the response will be universally positive sometimes you do it just because it's the right thing to do mhm I commend you for that line of thinking. I will provide a, an addition to if if you can do that grand for you, but also I'll provide the addition that this teacher this is not the end of your relationship with this teacher. And to and mm. to have done a good thing and done the right thing um is not uh, it, we are always trying to figure out how to be in the world together. And two, first of all, I think that getting that signal from the student at all makes that teacher feel better about their work and their like and and the way that they are uh, the, the and and the connections that they have with students and and about students in general. And it's going to make them feel better about you. Now, is that going to come back and become some kind of benefit in the future? Probably not, but maybe. And also, like, the moving through the world in a way that sort of helps everyone feel like the world isn't a trash place is extraordinarily valuable to everyone. And everything that we can do for each other to make to help each other believe that is really good because we get a lot of signals, uh, especially when we're not dealing one on one with people. We get a lot of signals that that, that is not the case. The, I think this that is exactly correct. I I've, I I'm like a very much of two minds in that I there's 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 the mind of of like what you say to an individual. And then there's the mind of how would I make the world work? If it were in the mind of how would I make the world work, then 
yeah, everyone's rewarded for honesty. You know, you know, if you take morality and ethics in the aggregate, then you see that we are a social animal that is really affected by incentive structures. Mm -hmm. And when you have systems and structures and patterns of human interaction that uh, incentivize selfish behavior, it's no wonder. You know, we, we are neither angels nor devils, mm-hmm. right? But if the if the the borders of the system that we're playing in funnel us into antisocial or pro-social behavior, then in the aggregate, of course, you're going to see those results more and more. So if I was going to design a world, I would say, yes, honesty, always the best policy. Right. Um, but if I were speaking to an individual about how to how to navigate this world of forms in which uh, disappointments happen all the time, I would probably tell a friend, um, you, you will guard your heart mm-hmm. more securely by not expecting to be rewarded uh, for these things, but still doing them nonetheless. Um, yes. And, and who knows? Maybe... By telling the teacher that, you avoided some other worse fate. What if you'd gone up to the teacher and just, like, not said anything, and then the teacher said, is there anything you want to tell me oh, wow. about your test? That would be really—that's that's definitely unethical teacher behavior right there. You, can, you, can't, you can't do teacher entrapment. And then the teacher slowly draws a sword from under their <laughs> desk, and they say, pick up your blade. And that could have happened. <laughs> that could have happened. Yeah. A du- <laughs> I'm gl- I'm so glad that I never had to do a duel with a teacher. Like I know that it happens, but I'm I'm just really happy that I never got in a situation where I had to to fight to the death with with a professor of mine. Yeah, I well, I think that that's always it it doesn't create the ideal learning environment to know that at any moment mm-hmm. your teacher could stand up and a wind could kick up in the classroom and blow their long robes. To the yeah. side, and then in a flash of light, uh, they have just vivisected you, and all of a sudden you've failed algebra one. You know that would be terrible. Um, that's, I mean, that's a problem. It's also like it just makes it like we're already there's already enough of a shortage of teachers, right? So yes. We don't need to be losing them in these pointless duels. Yes, children absolutely. are strong. They're they're lithe. They're they're dexterous. Um, we're Los losing Angeles. all our teachers the moment they hit fifty because they can't handle it. Exactly. Los Angeles just actually passed an ordinance that if you defeat one of your teachers in single combat, you become the teacher. So that's, <laughs> I mean, yeah, which which if you want that, I say go for it. <laughs> oh, man. Well, well, good. That's I'm glad that that feels solved. I think we solved that. And I think that person got exactly the answer they were looking for or of any of the answers we gave. There's certainly one that they're looking for in there. Um, uh, this one comes to us from Mahaley. Thanks, Mahaley. Uh, dear John and Hank, sometimes I will look up reviews and ratings of the show or movie I just finished. I get really self-conscious when I really like to show, and it got terrible reviews and ratings. Do I have really bad taste? Who are the critics that get to decide what is a flop? Has this ever happened to y'all? Rotten Tomatoes, ain't got nothing on me, Mahaley. Oof. Ah, I mean, I know this feeling. I know this feeling, and I do this. Um, I often sort of like, uh, this is the worst way that I do it. Sometimes I, I... read or watch something that I really like. And I like want to make sure that like, if I'm going to tweet about it, I want to make sure that I'm saying it in a way that isn't been said a bunch before, or like, you know, is, is like, you know, useful content for people. And, and so I'll go and read a couple of reviews and then I'm like, oh, these people got a very different thing out of this than I did, or they didn't get what I got out of this. And I, and I do my very best to one, not let that, you know, impact how I feel about the thing, which is is impossible, of course, Mm -hmm. but also like to not let it discourage me from like raving about a thing that I love, which I will absolutely continue to do. Even if people who I do not know did not like it in the same way that I did. Uh, Now there are also times when I like something gets pointed out to me where I'm like, Oh, maybe that's like my viewing, uh, like my like situation in life, who I am, gives me a different viewing than other people experienced. And maybe I can sort of take that into account in the way that I suggest it um, mm-hmm. and rave about it. But like, usually that's not the case. Usually I say I am a different person than those people and different things are for different people. Yes. And, uh, and there are a bunch of people out there who are going to love this as much as I do. And I want them to know about it. 
God. Well, that I think that's 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 the only way that you can like preserve your your joy and sanity, yeah, right? Uh, in yeah. the world is just to be like, yes, the things I love are for me, and I think that I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's very funny. I feel like a lot of this. I haven't thought about this as much recently, but I remember like early twenties and teenage years, which feels like the chapter of your life where you are kind of fashioning. You you are, are kind of like how do we put it? You're 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 fashioning this suit of armor that is your identity. But especially when I was a teenager, it felt like a big part of that was what was good and what I liked Mm -hmm. that that's like a huge identity project. And I think that, so you, you get into this position where you're like, (laughs) let me tell you, you know, this, this fantasy property is the best and it's about to become a huge tentpole of my personality. And then someone's like, "Eh," like, you know, not, not for me really. Um, and <laughs> yep, <laughs> and you go. Yep. You have attacked me at the deepest core of my being, and it, this will not stand. Um, and uh, so you know, I think that there's a that that's a big that's a big element of those things of like uh, the more you attach your identity towards your consumption of something like that, the worse it gets. And now I feel like those opinions. I, I I'm trying to think of what I like. Still have those opinions about bad taste. I feel like I do get a lot of that that bad taste feeling that like getting your dander up and, and like getting your back up against a wall about having bad taste about things that are very basic. Like I feel like in my family, I'm surrounded mm. by a lot of dark chocolate lovers. And as a <laughs> and as a milk chocolate, as a you so so it does yeah. it, that weirdly. It's like it's less so with like movies and books now. But if I'm in a room and people start going off about like, oh yes, like I got this bar of of you know ninety nine percent pure cacao, <laughs> it tastes like biting right into a bar of pure carbon and. <laughs> This and, is the closest I've ever gotten to a tire. <laughs> and I'm over here with just a piece of like, you know, like brightly colored, like, like it couldn't be more for kids piece of milk chocolate. And that's when I really go berserk. That's when I'm like, actually, all of you are wrong and I'm right. And you need to go to the doctor for why your mouths are doing that to you. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm this way with with wine, where um the the better the wine, the more I'm like I don't think I like want it to taste like grape flavored Sprite. Like I just I I I want it to be fun and sweet and cold and not at all interesting. I have enough interest in my life. And and I also feel this way about much of the reality television that I watch, where I'm just like, I'm watching this because it's and this is another thing. Here here is the thing I I deeply believe about criticism mm-hmm. is that early on the, there is often lots of so there's often lots of type like new types of content that are panned critically, and then as those types of content become their own genre, people start to judge them based on their own merits. Now, this doesn't always happen. Sometimes you get areas uh, like genres of content that never get judged based on their own merits, either because there's not enough of it or almost because there's too much of it. Mm. And it's like it is it's it's so sort of like for (laughs) broad consumption that uh, anybody who watches a lot of content and works hard to think a lot, a lot about content is going to feel like th- there isn't anything interesting here. But that's their their job is to try and like find the interesting stuff in content, and they are not. They they sometimes can be looking in the wrong place, or they sometimes can just have so like so much overexposure that they need stuff to be like too dang interesting for it to be interesting. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I also do believe that that like um I mean what would you what would you call it? like this like the person asking this question gets really self-conscious if they like to show and it got terrible yeah. reviews. But I do yeah. think that like you're saying different whether it's a show or a, a food item or any any kind of thing where you're like, oh, this is something that's like I'm I'm consuming to bring value to my life whether it be an intellectual thing or a physical thing or whatever. 
you go, what is the purpose of this, right? And I truly do believe in that of like certain things, uh, uh, you have to judge them in their proper context, right? Um, Mm -hmm. That's true with like, you know, reality television. I feel like myself and my fiance have been talking about this a lot recently in terms of scripted television, because weirdly, I feel like my... There's like uh, this this weird no man's land that's appeared for me with scripted content, at least like during the pandemic, where show I I don't have any medium scripted shows anymore. I'll I'll watch a new a new uh, a scripted like single camera kind of show. And it will be like, I'll be like, oh, God, this is like not good. Or I'll be like, this is the best thing I've ever watched. It's like there's this incredibly (laughs) high bar to clear. And if you don't achieve that bar, I'm like, this is phony. There's too much. There's too much. Yeah. Like, why would I why would I spend time watching something that I think is a little bit good when there's so much content that like there might be something that was made like exactly for me? Yeah, a million percent. I, and I I think, too, that this person's question is very much about, like, what do you do when you're in the minority and people seem to dislike stuff? What I would also, like, say, I mean, there's a very funny, I remember this, the, the, this conversation recently about reading restaurant reviews. And my, uh, again, my wonderful fiance pulled up a review and, like, was reading a review and I looked at it and it was a three-star review out of a five-star system. And uh-huh. it was so it was this three-star review and she started to read it. And I said, I have to stop you there because, because yes, we are all, we're, we're herd animals. We're affected by the opinions of others. You don't want to believe that you like something that other people don't like. But I said, I have to dismiss this three-star review out of hand because what could be more unhinged than writing a three-star review of anywhere? Like <laughs> you, you have a short, what do you, mean? you have a short human life. I write exclusively one star reviews and five star reviews. <laughs> one star reviews is that I am trying to prevent human harm. Five star yeah. reviews is the owner of the business is someone that I want to help. I like the, the I, I want, I am, I am, either, yeah. this needs to keep existing. I desperately want this place to not close. The idea, That's what five star means. The idea that I would get home from a purely average dinner and I would, yeah. get, I would close my door and I would go, the people need to know they need to know that this place is right down the middle i it's it's an instinct <laughs> it's an instinct i can't understand and you, and you're like it's olive garden that's what they're going for <laughs> That's, that's their context, okay? I don't want to read a three-star review. The person that wrote this review saying that they had an okay time at this restaurant did it in a room filled with severed human heads, okay? There's no... <laughs> that's not true. There's no... People are motivated by different things than you, obviously. I'm, t- I'm uh, calling everybody out right now. If you're out here writing three-star... If you are going, I need to tell people that this was eh. Then I then then we we must part ways, you and I. I can't I can't follow you down that road. I'm so curious now, having had this conversation for too long. What is what is taste, and what and is there a both a positive and a negative to having developed it? This is this is actually how I feel about wine. I do I am not interested in developing a like knowledge about wine because it sounds expensive. And uh, like, it's not going to make my life that much better because it's not like I'm going to encounter a lot of great wine in my life unless like I start to orient my life in that way. And so, th- so I have chosen in, a, in many different aspects of my life to not be int- that interested in the quality of a thing. Like I don't care about how nice my car is, which is true of a lot of people. It's a utilitarian thing. Mm-hmm. I don't uh, like I don't care about how ni- nice my wine is. I I'm not. I like really admire the beauty and craftsmanship of a nice like fancy mechanical wristwatch. But like I'm never gonna be interested in that to a level where I'm gonna like buy one because it seems like just a way of uh, of turning my like orienting my life in a way that I'm like sort of. Like, I could be knowledgeable about so many things. I don't know why I would choose to suddenly be knowledgeable about that thing. And so I think that there is, 
I think that we also need to accept that there are areas of our lives where we don't need to have good taste. Hank, you are you're preaching the gospel, my man. You are you are saying exactly how I feel about almost everything. When I my my, my like meal preferences, right? If <laughs> the best indication that I will enjoy a restaurant is if that restaurant is mostly empty. I do not want to go. I do not want to go. Where <laughs> main, my main problem is if this is going to take a long time. 100%. 100%. I want a restaurant where we will be able to walk in and sit down immediately, where the staff at that restaurant will not be super stressed and having a terrible time. And, yeah. uh, and the... Um, uh, and I want a place where, and again, and I would say on a meal by meal basis, number one predictor of whether I will enjoy a meal or not uh, is, is it heavy? If the meal is heavy, I will enjoy it, right? You can cut a lot <laughs> you of- You mean like literally like weight, like has mass? I, here's here's when a meal gets good for me. If that meal <laughs> could be placed in a paper bag, if that uh -huh. paper bag were then dropped from a height of- let's say five feet above my head, onto my uh -huh. head. Uh -huh. If I were completely okay, then that meal <laughs> is disappointing. I would... <laughs> <laughs> Heavy meals at empty restaurants, this is where joy lies. Um yeah. Which reminds me that this this podcast is actually brought to you by Heavy Meals at Empty Restaurants. <laughs> Uh, av available at every Olive Garden. <laughs> we also want to thank today, obviously, um, our one of our other podcast sponsors, uh, Classroom Combat, uh, a series of internet lectures uh, teaching you different forms and martial arts to uh, defeat teachers that have set up, you know, clever <laughs> ruses and traps. Uh, mm -hmm. to to test your ethics while they are testing your mathematics, STEM, humanities, uh, etc. Uh, just remember that um, with a little bit of knowledge, it uh, can go a long, long way uh, towards being the last one standing uh, on top of a beautiful sunset mountain <laughs> as uh, as the teacher you have bested in combat turns into a small whirlwind of blossoms and congratulates you on now becoming mm. um, your uh, middle school's uh, social studies teacher. So there you go. Podcast is also brought to you by a warm goth in the sun. A warm goth in the sun glowing, but invisibly. <laughs> as well as uh, a well-tied cannon. Tired of being thrown into the sea by your incredibly strict <laughs> captain who's, I guess, trying to teach you a lesson in the last few <laughs> moments of your life. Make sure that cannon's strapped down with a well-tied cannon today. So listen, your toilet is massively gross, like it's grosser than you think. In fact, bacteria and viruses can hang around in the toilet bowl even after multiple flushes. And I recently found the easiest way to clean my toilet, Blue Land's Sustainable Toilet Cleaner Tablets. Just drop, watch it fizz, brush, and flush. It is truly that simple. No more scrubbing for hours. Plus, the tablets are plastic-free. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blue Land products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by ZocDoc. Look, there are, I think it's fair to say, some imperfections in the American healthcare system, but there are ways that it actually has recently gotten easier. I don't compromise on a lot of things, but I do not love feeling like I can't find the right doctor for me. And I've gotten very lucky that I have found some good doctors for me. When it comes to your health, there shouldn't be compromise. 
Don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines slash their family group chat slash their crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or they happen to take your insurance. Instead, like you don't have to keep going back to a doctor who you don't like. You can check out ZocDoc, a place where you can find and book doctors who make you feel comfortable, who listen to you, who prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance type. So literally, no compromises. Because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you think. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more phone calls and waiting on hold with a receptionist. We don't have time for this anymore. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual, real patients. Booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even sometimes score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then you can book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash DearHank. Every time I know it's coming, and I'm like, I'm going to have to say ZocDoc.com right now, aren't I? And then I do. I'm getting good at it, everybody. ZocDoc.com. Dear John and Hank, and by the way, I'm going to always say John and Hank because that's what's written here, and I'm reporting (laughs) faithfully. But Grace, my sincere apologies. John's not answering this one, baby. It's me, okay? And that's, them's the breaks. Um, Dear John and Hank, I work at a tiny ice cream truck where I always work alone. My God, this is starting like a fairy tale. Um, I work at a tiny ice cream truck where I always work alone. It's not very busy, so most of the time I'm sitting doing nothing. When I started, I was never told whether or not I could have free ice cream while I work. Mm. I don't want to ask because I'm eternally terrified of talking to people of authority. Should I just take ice cream or wallow in perpetual sadness, staring at ice cream, the love of my life, for hours on end. I want ice cream. Grace. This is like a Hemingway short story. This is one of the most beautifully written questions I think I've ever seen. This is, uh, Grace, I, you really took me on a journey, and I feel like I understand your heart, and I totally yeah. get it. Oh, yeah. Well, so there's, you, I think, Brennan may disagree with me, you have two options. Mm-hmm. You can either talk to your boss about whether or not you can have free or discounted ice cream. Or, and this is a little rough, you can be your own customer and buy some ice cream and then you're not staring at it anymore. And you're putting that Otter Pop direct into your mouth, but 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 it is being it is being uh taken out of the the dollars that you have just put into the cash register. Because you can be a you can be a customer of a restaurant or a, any business that you uh, are employed by. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, I would suggest taking a scary hour. Do you know what a scary hour is? What's the scary hour? A, the scary hour is the hour that you spend every day or on a day that you choose, depending on your tolerance for scary. It's the day. It's the hour you choose to do all the scary things that you've been not doing. Calling to cancel that subscription, talking to your boss about whether or not you can eat the ice cream, um, or emailing that person about that thing that you need to get done that you haven't gotten done yet. Wow. Scary hour. Wow. Um, I love scary hour. What a great way to think about that. And I think, Grace, I fully understand uh, the, the, the being terrified of talking to people of authority. I think to break this down into some actionable principles, anytime you're looking at a decision tree. You're looking at sort of a flow sheet of options. If one of the one of the forks on your path is wallow in perpetual sadness, I think we X that. Mm-hmm. I think we just X that from yeah. every mm-hmm. decision tree. Um, you know, uh, we we can we can work around that in some other way. Um, and you know, I think in that scary hour. So, so context. Uh, my very first job of all time was I worked as a cashier at a grocery store to save up enough money to go to summer camp. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, uh, one day, uh, some of the people in line at my register were uh, the people that were running the summer camp, and they told me that um, the camp I had been saving up money for had been canceled. And so I uh, rang them out and shut down my register and walked to the office and quit that very moment. I gave my two weeks notice um, I, because that job was really hard and we were not allowed to sit down and it was long, long hours. And also mm-hmm. I, there was a, a little, they had little lunches over by like the deli counter. And there were a couple of times where I would get a lunch because I was told I had an employee discount. And I realized that um, even with the employee discount, I was usually spending somewhere between like tw- 20 to 40% of my after-tax right. pay yeah. buying my lunch at mm-hmm. work. Um, and yeah. uh, it made me very sad. So there's a big part of me with that kind of sense memory of that experience that would just tell you, Grace, um, steal ice cream. That would be my advice. Um, and and just for clarity, if John were here, <laughs> that would be that would also, I think, be his take. He would be ragging on me right now and being like, Hank, are you for real? Grace got to eat that ice cream. And also, uh, I used to work at Walmart where it was very hot. I would go out and push carts, and that was one of parts of my job. And I would come in, and then I would have a little bit of fountain soda from the little cafe that was in the Walmart. And then I was told by my boss that I was not allowed to have fountain soda and could have water. And that did seem a little extreme and, uh, and very upsetting to me at the time, where I was like, are you serious about yes. that, but they were, they made me. Um, but I also understand that probably if you have if you have a fear of like speaking to authority figures, that it's it's I feel like it's a rare person who is like, well, listen, I had this anxiety around asking for favors from authority figures, so I'm going to boldly steal from them. I feel like that doesn't, there's, you know, there's, <laughs> I get it. I don't know. I bet there's overlap <laughs> there. For sure. It's like, <laughs> my social anxiety is enormous. My theft anxiety, remarkably low. Um, uh, <laughs> there's, uh, you're all by yourself in an ice cream truck. Apparently, like, I would be concerned. I will, I will say they may do inventory on the ice cream, Grace. I don't know if they do, but they may do inventory and they may know if some ice cream started to disappear. I also had a friend in high school who worked at Steak and Shake, uh, which, if you don't have it, is like a, like a Denny's, but maybe a little nicer. I don't know. I think so. And they don't. And at Steak and Shake, they do inventory on a lot of things, but they don't do inventory on soups, shakes, mm-hmm. or fries. So that's what we ate, and we ate it for Jesus. free. Jesus. Okay. Um, well, first of all, I got to say, uh, Steak and Shake, incredible. Love. Uh, there was there was one in New York, Steak oh, and Shake. Mwah, I miss beautiful. it. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's two things here, right? Um, I'm of the opinion that certainty always beats uncertain like anxiety comes from ambiguity for me at mm. least yeah right? yeah that's, so yeah. i think no matter what happens speaking to your employers is going to set the set the record straight and that's actually a positive thing so even though you have that anxiety around that i think you could say you know it's it's actually i don't think it's that unusual of a request right a lot of places have staff meal um i worked at a bar for a while where it was the very first bar i ever worked at and we got paid even even like our you know, sub minimum wage due to tips pay was like withheld and there was weird stuff going on. And my my one act of rebellion because we had staff meal that was from a buffet table is I basically was like, well, if they're going to sort of like screw us out of this, you know, the, the money that we're owed, I'm going to quadruple my salary in steak every day. And I'm going to eat as much of the big ticket items I'm going, you know, like I'm going to try to hit them in the pocketbook in terms of what I'm eating. Um, we're getting to see a running theme of my relationship to uh, food and mass and heaviness here. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I think in your circumstances, Grace, the the thing to do might be talk to them and say, "Hey, is there some kind mm-hmm. of staff meal here? Like when I when I do a shift in the ice cream truck." Um, I'm like, you know, I'm like running around for a long time. Would it be, is there, is, 
It's hot. It's hot. Maybe. Is there and and I I don't think it's unto because of course like the amount they're paying for the ice cream it's like a a fraction of what it's being sold for. It's probably something that's yes. that is not that difficult to ask for. And then you'll have an answer, and the answer is either like oh of course like help yourself you know like or like yeah if you want like like once a shift if you want to da 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 and then you have your answer. And if the answer is that is not your ice cream. How dare you? But my my father and my father's father <laughs> discovered this ice cream at the bottom of the ocean and whatever kind of thing they're going to say. Then you know, ah, I'm dealing with, you know, cold-hearted villains. And then you can feel absolutely justified in being like, not only am yeah. I going to eat ice cream, but I will actually don a, a mask. And at night I will, you know, to the neighborhood children, I will throw ice cream like a kind of frozen confection Robin Hood. You know, so then you have your answer either way. And I think it, it dispels the ambiguity, which is the main thing. All right. I have a last question before we get to the news from Mars and not AFC Wimbledon because John's not here. This is from Rebecca who asks, dear Hank and Brennan, it doesn't say that, but I'm not mm-hmm. faithful. So what, what is written? If I open an umbrella inside my car, is that bad luck or is that strictly a house-based phenomenon? Unluckily or not, Rebecca. Rebecca, it's... Mm, Brennan, why why is it unlucky to open an umbrella in a house? Okay. Because I've got thoughts. Because I think it's unlucky to open an umbrella in your house because you're about to go Mr. Bean on that vase. Now, I'm now here's the funny thing. We we have sort of been shooting from the hip on some of these answers, right? Okay. This question hit some deep superstitious Irish part of my soul and actually prompted me to open a window in a browser because I am not going to um, be glib and fuck around with this person asking questions about luck. Luck is, I, there are very few universal forces I, that I believe in luck, one of them. So, so yes. Wow. Um, because I think, I think luck <laughs> is sort of indisputable, right? Luck is the name we give to the incalculable forces of chance that govern all of the elements of our lives outside of our individual control, right? Do you want to know a weird thing? So yes, and there are many of those things, and uh, without doubt, and and by by virtue of the fact that you have uh, a, a device with which to listen a podcast to on, uh, we have all experienced our share of luck here here today, um, but. I have there, this is a really interesting study, and I'm, I wonder if you've heard of it. There uh, is there was a study done, and the basis of it was um, here's a newspaper, and you have to tell me the number of times that like something happens in this newspaper. I don't know, like the word "the" appears mm-hmm. in a headline, and so you have to like mark down how many times the word "the" appears in a headline. You go through the whole newspaper, and you see how fast it it takes. Um, and there are people who self-reported being lucky uh, before doing that were the were much more likely to see that one of the headlines said there are 41 instances of the word the in this paper. Whoa. And that so like there was a way that you could there was like a cheat way and they were much more likely to see it indicating that they were just more open to the possibility of gaining or gathering insight in new and different ways so this is not about whether or not luck exists it's about whether like people's experience of luck which is a very different thing i think that like you know obviously luck very much exists but luckiness seems to oftentimes be about uh, like the people's experience of luckiness, like me feeling like a lucky person, which I do, tends to be uh, it, actually something that might be innate in the person rather in their experiences. Wow, 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 wow. That's that wild? very wild. Holy smokes. Um, well, yeah, I, and I certainly, I certainly um, uh, agree with that. I don't know that I believe in luckiness. I can kind of definitively say, like, I think it's possible to believe in luckiness after the fact. If someone goes on an incredible streak, you can go, sure. yeah, they were incredibly lucky. Mm-hmm. But I think having something that you can determine ahead of time, that that doesn't strike me as true. But it feel, I, I don't know. I believe like a belief in luck of some kind is one of the only ways that I can make the universe make sense, where you go like, it just feels like an acknowledgement of the forces outside of human control. And it's one of the kinder 
ways of describing that because it's so imp- it's so impersonal. Yeah. And I think when you and it's so unjust. Well, and it, and it it explains injustice in a lot of yeah. ways, right? It explains like, oh, that's because I think if you start going, you know, it's it's the it's the old like, what is that, Candide? Like we live in the best of all possible worlds, and if you believe that you live in the, the best of all possible worlds, then you're suddenly left trying to explain all of the horrifying things that happen, and that gets immediately indefensible, right? At least to me. Um, uh, to the to the question about umbrellas, I think it is. This, I think the superstition <laughs> to, to the umbrellas, to the umbrellas. Yeah, we're talking about ethics, blah blah blah, whatever. Let, listen, we need to talk about where it's bad to open umbrellas. Um, in a lot of the language I'm finding, mm-hmm. it doesn't mention a house. It says the inside, tr- inside, and specifically, I'm seeing indoors. Now, not to open a whole like Ooh, wow, you know, all right, a whole, so hot dog is a sandwich kind of question. Hey, I don't, I don't, I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. If you're telling me that cars don't have doors, <laughs> you're dreaming, pal. <laughs> cars got doors. Oh, okay, well, okay. Brennan, convertibles have doors. Are you indoors in a convertible with the top down? Um, you're now, in. This is, you're uh, you're surrounded by doors. Now, here's the deal. This is an edge case. You are not technically indoors while you are within the closed doors of a convertible. So However, you have is, you have proved thus that it's not about the doors. Or have I proved simply that uh, the doors of a convertible do not close because there is no upper edge to the door frame the of do- a convertible? <laughs> you cannot, you, you'd rather argue that you can't close the doors of a convertible. It is impossible to close the doors of a convertible, and I'll die on this hill. Um, <laughs> Unless the top is up, in which case, the moment you take the top down, the doors open again. And I would say it is bad luck to open an umbrella inside of a convertible with the top down. And also potentially rude, because the top of a convertible is essentially an umbrella, and you're being disrespectful to the car. <laughs> so if the top is if the top is up in an umbra- in, a, in a convertible, you can open the umbrella inside of the car. If the top is down, the top is you, down. If no, the top there's is nothing di- between you and the sun. Nothing between or the you sky and the sun. Or the rain, I guess. Or the rain. And if you want to fly down the highway at 80 <laughs> miles an hour with the top down in a driving thunderstorm with your umbrella up against the sky, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not unlucky. Thing. It's not unlucky on principle. I do think bad things will happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but if the but if the top is up and 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 you are protected from the rain, you cannot open the umbrella until it is outside of the car. That is absolutely correct, and it's because of the simple fact that when the top is up, the doors are actually closed. When the top and you is are down, in those doors and thus yes, indoors and thus indoors. Exactly. I like. I never thought about how indoors was just like just a way of saying that I'm. I'm inside of a of a door. I'm inside of a I'm door. I'm on the I'm inside of a door and then and when I'm outdoors, I'm outside of a door. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree. That And there is that is, and there is that moment on the threshold where the door is open and you're standing there where you are nowhere. Yes, you are you are neither here nor there. This was a weird a weird argument I remember having some not an argument but it was, it was sort of one of those like philosophical questions that people get surprisingly heated about uh-huh. which was which was sort of like what I remember, it was something like, "What is the point of a door?" And someone was like, "To open." And someone was like, "The point of a door is to close." And it was like, "How can Ooh. you make? Uh, how can you yeah. make that thing?" And they were like, "The point of an archway is to provide passage through two yeah. areas of a mm. house. The door is something you add to an archway in order to temporarily seal that entrance, so that it can be closed. So a door so is it- about closing, not about opening." Which is a little bit of a bummer, and I can't tell you why. There's just something about the poetry of that yeah, that makes I'd me quite rather, sad. I'd rather doors be about opening, but here we are in this world as it exists. In this world as it exists, which is why in my home we exclusively have bead curtains. Yeah, and I took our front door off ages ago, uh, which does make it very <laughs> cold in the winter, and the heating bills are wild. But it does mean you can open as many umbrellas as you want in your house and never get unlucky. <laughs> I forgot that the— <laughs> You're, that, that now I'm outdoors because the door is open and I'm out of it, apparently. I remain and always have been since the beginning of this conversation on team inside of a car is not indoors. 
That's wow. the inside of a car. That's And I would like to hear people's opinions on this. My Twitter is at Hank Green. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to know to what extent I am wrong. But I feel like that indoors is in a home. In a car is in a car. That's not indoors, even though I am indoors. I would say that we have to go by by the letter of the law here. You know, when you're inside of a car, you are not necessarily at home unless that car is your home. Brendan, I am almost certain that there is no law about this. But maybe well, there is. If there's a lawyer out there who who has has litigated the term indoors, and that does not seem impossible, please let mm-hmm. us know. If you had, to, if if you were if you were on the phone with your friend, and uh-huh. you were, you, uh, you, let's say that you were hanging out in your car. Car is parked. You're in uh-huh. the parking lot. Maybe you have the AC on. Maybe you're just on your phone. Um, and a friend asked, where are you? They shot you a text being like, hey, where are you right now? Where would you respond to tell them that you are? I'm in my car. You're in your car. And I think the in is the, like, in other words, would it be inaccurate if someone texted you saying, I'm inside the car? No, that would be fine. If they said, then, I'm indoors, I would be like, you are currently in a building. And I would also say it's a weird response. <laughs> is not a car a building? Question no. Mark. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think you I think you're taking big swings and I think that I think that I think that when we actually get to court and we actually litigate this, you're going to be surprised by what the evidence suggests, which is that cars are buildings and houses are vehicles. <laughs> I I just went to a, a a science direct article. So this is a this is a journal article from Transportation Research uh uh it, which is a, a journal, a real journal mm-hmm. and this article is from 2011, and it says, in a scientific peer-reviewed article, cars are buildings, building like energy use in automobiles. Uh, so, so to Valerie Thomas, principal investigator on this article, first author, uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to say you're wrong and we can fight about it. <laughs> All I'm saying is this, you know, any, any categorical that you want to put on it, okay, what is a building? A building. A building t- doesn't move. Like, that's the main one. Oh, so if you were to see a truck carrying a house down the highway and that house was moving, that would not be a building? <laughs> were you on debate team? <laughs> and may I remind you, Mr. Green, that as our planet orbits the sun and the sun moves throughout our galaxy, that all buildings are moving constantly. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, <laughs> the, the, the points have been scored. <laughs> All right. Uh, this weekend news from Mars. It has to end at some point. It might as well be now. Uh, is a uh, great, very attractive. They, look, so much of of uh, good science is pictures. Um, and aren't we all very lucky for that? Uh, Having looked and admired the James Webb Space Telescope pictures, you can now look and admire pictures from the European Space Agency that was taken by the Mars Express Orbiter of the largest canyon in our solar system. It's the Valles Marineris Canyon System. It's 10 times longer, 20 times wider than the Grand Canyon, and thanks to 3D imaging capabilities of the orbiter, so it can actually take pictures in 3D, scientists estimate that there are spots that are five times deeper than the Grand Canyon. Uh, you can look at these pictures uh, by looking, uh, you can look at these pictures by Googling things you would expect to Google, and you can actually take this data and sort of turn it on its side. So it looks like we're sort of looking at it as if we were on the side of the canyon or above the canyon, all, you know, wherever we want to do it, which is awesome. Uh, so there's just new data that has been crunched into beautiful images, just like Jim Swope Space Telescope pictures. And uh, thanks to the European Space Agency for doing that great work and helping us understand what the heck is going on here, because it is not like the Grand Canyon, which is created by a river. It was actually thought to be created by just like a crack that formed between tectonic plates back when Mars had those, doesn't anymore. And along the floor of the canyon in, in the image, you could see like jagged rocks that would have formed there as the plates actually pulled apart. Wild that planets just create themselves and we end up with these beautiful wild features. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Wait, it doesn't have tectonic plates anymore? No, it's tectonically locked, Mars. Is that just like Which is not unusual. Um it it it, it appears that that our way of doing it is uh as planets go more weird. Wow. Oh my god. So 
Okay, so so Mars is locked. I, I have to assume there's still it, it, that that there's still magma or lava. I mean, what does the core of Mars look like? Do we know? Yeah, it is still liquid in there. Um, but the the so like you have to have a lot of convection, and the the crust of Earth is very thin. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could. Uh, you know, and eventually, as the Earth continues to cool off, which it does do, I don't know if this will happen before, like, our solar system explodes or not, but it would eventually happen. Uh, enough heat would leave that uh, the plates would stop, like, convection. that kind of convection would stop and Earth would also lock up, mm-hmm. which would be a problem because plate tectonics is actually pretty important for a lot of things on Earth. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I'm just, I, I'm, 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 I'm a little stunned. I'm just sitting here. Uh, well, yeah. Hachi machi. There are there is that we are the only planet with plate tectonics in the solar system, and there are two moons that kind of do, but they're ice moons. So they have like the the it's like ice crust, which I guess you could say is plate tectonics. It's not any different from um not having it like it's just it's just ice rock instead of rock rock. Ice rock. Ice is a rock. Ice is a rock. I guess so, right? Ice rock instead of rock rock. Well, I love our little rock, rock planet. And for some reason, I now have a strange association of pride with tectonic plates, which have only ever brought me uh, concern and anxiety in the past. So now I suddenly have a weird. Oh, they're great. <laughs> they're, I mean, I like on the short term, they are, they like can cause a lot of problems. <laughs> but in the long, t- in the long term, they're, they're extraordinarily necessary for recycling of, of minerals and uh, keeping the planet vibrant and interesting. And uh, it seems to be quite good for life. Wow. Way to go. Access te- all those minerals. Way to yeah. go, tectonic plates. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, buddies. That's awesome. Uh, Brennan, thank you so much for joining me uh, for this episode of Dear Hang of John. A, a joy, a privilege, an honor, a pleasure. Uh, uh, I hope we I hope we helped some people today. And, um, you know, uh, I just want everyone to remember that if you believe in yourself, you can be anything just like every car is a building and every building is a vehicle and that, you know, you can all... And every every student is a potential social studies teacher. All you need is a sword. All you need is a magical sword given to you by uh, one of the staff. And then then off you go. Uh, Beautiful. Beautiful. If you want to send us questions, you can do that at hankandjohn at gmail.com. We don't have a podcast without questions, so thanks you all so much for sending them in. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tunamedish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't don't forget forget to be awesome. awesome.